One of the many things I've learned during four decades of doing research in Alzheimer's disease is that the work always brings surprises. The saga of aducanumab, Biogen's experimental Alzheimer's drug, has brought many of them. Scientists like me have been waiting for something to work against Alzheimer's, to give us confidence that we are at least on the right track. I've always believed that once a drug looked like it worked and got across the finish line with the FDA, it would open the floodgates to make better versions. I'm not talking about me too drugs, but ones that actually work better than the first ones. I believe that aducanumab is the breakthrough we have long been waiting for, one that I believe will stand the test of time. That was Dennis Selko, the co-director of the Ann Romney Center for Neurologic Diseases at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, professor of neurologic diseases at Harvard Medical School, and a longtime Alzheimer's researcher. He read from a first opinion he wrote in 2019 when Biogen submitted aducanumab to the FDA for approval. I'll bring you our conversation after a word from our sponsor. The demands of innovation are evolving faster with each new discovery. At Cytiva, we evolve with you, using flexible, modular solutions to shorten the time to the next milestone and to market. Learn more at cytiva.com slash cell therapy. That's C-Y-T-I-V-A dot com forward slash cell therapy. Welcome to the First Opinion Podcast. I'm Pat Scarrett, editor of First Opinion, stats platform for articles written by biotech insiders, healthcare workers, researchers, and others with interesting or illuminating or provocative perspectives to share about the life sciences writ large. I am more excited than usual about recording the podcast today. For one thing, it's fun to tackle a topic immediately in the news, like the FDA's approval of aducanumab. For another, my guest today is not just a notable Alzheimer's researcher, but a neighbor. And because we live near each other, I'm recording this episode with Dennis in person in my home recording studio, which my kids know as the Playroom, the first non-remote recording since we launched the podcast in the gloom of February. Welcome, Dennis. Thank you. Delighted to be with you, Pat. Dennis, your work has been tilting in the direction of an amyloid-targeted treatment for Alzheimer's disease for quite some time. Mm -hmm. The National Library of Medicine's PubMed database tells me that you've been writing about proteins in Alzheimer's since at least 1979. Wow. What got you interested in this area of medicine and biomedical research? So during medical school, I was very interested in the brain, in neurology. And when I delved into it, I realized I'd like to do research on the brain, not only see people who have brain diseases. When I got into a research lab for postdoctoral training at Harvard Medical School, I was assigned the task of working on certain proteins in the brain, normal proteins called microtubule proteins. And as I studied them in the lab, I recognized that they had a relationship to Alzheimer's disease. Mm. I already knew about Alzheimer's disease as a clinical entity in my training. In medical school, you learn about it. It was considered a rare uh, early life disease. Mm. But I saw patients with it. And then I learned that uh, the proteins I was studying in the lab might have a relationship to the tangles of Alzheimer's disease. Mm. So at that point, I worked very much on the tangles in my early days in Alzheimer's research. And then I turned from the tangles to the plaques which are a different protein deposit. 
So tell me a little bit about amyloid beta. What is amyloid beta and what role do people think it plays in Alzheimer's disease? Amyloid beta protein was discovered, per se, by a, a senior colleague of mine and friend, George Glenner, who has since passed from the scene. And amyloid beta is a protein that's not very large. It's about 42 amino acids long. And uh, it is normally made throughout life. And that's something that hmm. I'm proud to say we discovered in my lab at the Brigham. So we figured out that amyloid beta is made by all of us throughout life, whereas Early on, when it was first discovered, it was thought to be the bad protein that builds up in plaques huh. in Alzheimer's disease. It turns out that everybody makes it, and therefore it's a little bit analogous to cholesterol. We all have to make mm. cholesterol, but yet many people walking down the street think cholesterol is bad. I got to lower my cholesterol. Mm. You do, but not all forms of cholesterol, maybe more of the so-called bad cholesterol, and you don't want to lower it to zero. Same thing with the amyloid beta. It's made normally by a healthy process in the, in the brain and in other parts of the body. And we discovered that in 1992. That opened up the opportunity to use ordinary cells in a laboratory, what we call cultured cells, mm -hmm. to watch the amyloid beta protein being made. And we discover the whole mechanism by which it's made. So what does normal uh, amyloid do we still haven't figured that out uh, for sure. The amyloid beta protein, which is small, is made from a large parent protein called amyloid parent protein, or APP. <laughs> and that molecule is one of the most studies, studied molecules in biology. And APP has good qualities. It uh, nurtures other cells. Mm. It's a cell uh, growth factor, a nurturing factor that's protective. Uh, that sounds like the opposite of Alzheimer's mm -hmm. disease. But it's just the 42 amino acid fragment of the APP, the amyloid parent protein, that causes trouble in Alzheimer's. The rest of the protein does good things throughout life. Hmm. And just this little piece, which is carved out of the parent protein by two enzymes that cut APP, that piece we call amyloid beta. And even that probably does something good. We don't know exactly hmm. what it is. It might also be a growth or protective factor. Mm -hmm but we mostly know what it does bad, hmm. which is to build up because it's sticky, what we call hydrophobic in science, mm -hmm. and it sticks together and makes uh, little things called oligomers. Oligo is, means a few, a few monomers, a few mers are oligomers. And oligomers are a term we use in science generally, but in Alzheimer's especially, for uh, conveying a buildup of abnormal doublets, triplets, quadruplets uh, that stick to each other and then cause toxicity to nerve cells. Amyloid beta protein builds up in doublets and higher. And when it does so, it's no longer the normal product that we discovered hmm. back in 1992 in the lab. It's a toxic product. It's gone from a, uh, a Mr. Jekyll to a Dr. Hyde. Hmm. And so we believe that um, Dr. Jekyll, from Dr. Jekyll to Mr. Hyde, Mr. Hyde's the, the bad guy. So we believe that amyloid beta protein, regardless of its normal function, should not build up too high mm -hmm. in the brain. And we know it does in 100% of Alzheimer's patients. How hmm. do we know? Of course, for decades, uh, people with Alzheimer's have been dying of this terrible disease. And at the end of their lives, we can look at their brain, we see them uh, replete with thousands, millions of amyloid plaques. We have more and more evidence genetically 
from unbiased genetic screens that amyloid beta builds up very early in the process that leads to Alzheimer's, maybe 20 years before you first wow. forget the name of your 12th grandchild, if you're so blessed, or forget the name of, or forget where you parked your car this morning. Um, years before that, you will build up amyloid beta protein. And after you build it up, that buildup will short circuit nerve cells, cause damage to synapses that are the switches between neurons and build up the tau protein as tangles. So amyloid deposits followed by tau tangle deposits. Hmm. That is the uh, key pathology of Alzheimer's. So what to punch? So one, two punch. And uh, for many years, we had a, an aphorism in the field that you either were a Baptist or a Taoist. It was a religious <laughs> war. The Baptists were the beta amyloid proteinists. And then the Taoists were the TAO, TAU, uh, Taoists. Sounds like a, a, a Far Eastern religion. But in point of fact, there was a debate between is the beta amyloid protein first or is the tau protein first? And genetics has proven that uh, mutations in the amyloid parent protein, APP, or in other genes that make the amyloid beta, they can cause Alzheimer's disease. We never see mutations in the tau protein that hmm. ever cause Alzheimer's disease. Hmm. You know, all science is theory. Um, so right. how much of this is really solid and how much of it is still, as your work continues to go on, how much sure. of it is still to be Hypothesis, determined? Yeah. So I think what I've shared with you so far, that there is a buildup of amyloid protein from this amyloid parent protein, and that triggers another protein, tau, to form tangles inside some neurons. That much there's very little debate about. There's, there's really proof and there's genetic proof, uh, keeping aside treatment strategies, just the natural history of Alzheimer's and studying people who have it and examining their brains has shown that this, this is the case. This is true. So I think there's very little, hmm. I think it's no longer hypothetical. It looks like it's scientific fact. And so that was the rationale for going after amyloid beta. Right. Exactly. Because amyloid beta by genetic implications comes first. So I think the issue of hypothesis versus proven fact, frankly, it takes a long time to get to proven fact, mm. and there's always room for debate, and that's what scientists are supposed to mm. do, and so should the lay public. Then there's been a debate, does the amyloid itself cause you to think poorly, to forget, or is it the production of the tau tangles mm. secondary to the amyloid? And most of us now believe it's the latter, that without the tau tangles building up, if you only have amyloid in the brain, you might not show hardly any signs of dementia or of cognitive symptoms. But it was a long road to go from the beginning of the concept that amyloid is too much amyloid. Yeah. It's not exactly. doing any good in the brain. I mean, there's a whole sort of graveyard of clinical trials of people who have tried to find ways to go after amyloid. Can you talk about that long road? Sure. So it's been a very long road to go from the concept that amyloid beta buildup is not a good thing to actually doing something about it. And many uh, missteps along the way. I've thought of about four or five reasons why these earlier trials didn't do well. And one of them is that they had the wrong uh, chemistry, the wrong compound to try to block the process. It didn't really block the process. Mm. Another is that they produced a lot of side effects from the compounds that they tried. So the side effects overwhelmed any benefit you could see from this. We know some examples of that. Yet another one 
is that trials weren't executed uh, carefully or definitively. And indeed, even in Biogen's breakthrough uh, approval this week of their, their antibody called aducanumab, they acknowledged that they made some mistakes mm. in uh, trying to uh, do the trials. Uh, for example, they amended the protocol for the trials four times during the course of the trial. And that causes a little bit of bumpiness or mm. unevenness in the conduct. They kept everyone blinded. They still had a placebo group and they had the active aducanumab treatment group, but they changed the dose somewhat that people were allowed to get. And that made the analysis at the end more complex. Hmm. Another thing that gave rise to failures and almost scuttled aducanumab, which has just barely made it across the finish line, was that they had a so-called futility analysis, where statisticians who were monitoring the progress of the trial did an analysis to see if maybe halfway through it wasn't going to turn out to work and we might as well consider it futile mm -hmm. to go all the way to the end. And they declared futility. They said, this is not going to work. Afterwards, Biogen, still in a blinded fashion, analyzed the data and found out that no, that was not correct. The futility analysis gave the wrong answer and it was not yet futile. So they continued the trials uh, and then stopped them completely about three months after the fertility analysis. Uh, actually, they stopped them on the fertility analysis, but they followed patients for three more months. Then they looked at all the data. One of the two trials they did did show benefit on cognition as well as amyloid clearing in the brain. And the other trial showed the amyloid clearing, but no benefit, a split jury. And that's what many people now are complaining about uh, in terms of the FDA's decision. Um, so how do I feel about that? I think the FDA made the right decision because they said in both trials, there was dramatic clearing of amyloid plaques. And amyloid plaques are how we define the disease. They were first brought to attention by Alzheimer's in 1906. Mm -hmm. And ever since then, we've had evidence that all patients get that amyloid buildup. So removing this was akin perhaps to having a statin drug lower atherosclerotic plaques in the coronary arteries that ultimately it would be good to not have as much atherosclerosis mm -hmm. in your heart. Well, in the heart field, everyone accepts that cholesterol is unequivocally not a good idea to build up to excess levels. Right. But in the Alzheimer field, people didn't accept yet that amyloid beta buildup to excess was automatically a bad thing. We now know that almost everyone agrees it is, and that therefore the FDA said in both trials, amyloid was lowered dramatically, that should lead over time to benefit. All things considered, the FDA made a very difficult decision. They said the biomarker evidence, that is the evidence by measuring amyloid by a PET scan of the, of the brain, uh, suggested the drug lowered this key abnormality of Alzheimer's. And therefore, it was worthy of testing. But the company, Biogen, had to do yet another trial mm. after marketing began. Very importantly, the uh, the field was, and the FDA was influenced by three other separate antibodies that are being tried by other companies, oh, essentially really? competitors of Biogen. And all those three, there had been announcements already of phase two data, not the final phase of testing, mm -hmm. but they were behind aducanumab, behind Biogen's agent. But they clearly showed that there was some uh, removal of amyloid plaques from each of those three antibodies separately. And some of them were associated with not only a 
benefit for cognition that is less decline, I shouldn't say a benefit, but a decrease in decline, but also the tau tangles that we earlier discussed are secondary to the amyloid, they went down too. Hmm. So you lower the primary event and you also benefit the secondary tau tangle event. That was something the FDA was aware of hmm. when they had to make the decision, do they reject aducanumab out of hand or do they give it a chance to have many patients get it while Biogen does a, what's called a phase four mm-hmm. trial. So with what you're describing, it sounds like there are drug companies all over the place with their eyes open trying to figure out what's the next target. Exactly. And one of the very interesting things about the reaction to Monday's news about the FDA is that a sizable fraction, by no means all, of the Alzheimer experts across the globe were disappointed that the FDA decided to uh, allow this to be approved because they said it's a split jury between the two trials Biogen ran, and we need a third clean trial to figure that out. Mm. Um, I didn't feel that way because I thought there was some evidence that it helped in one of the two trials, and even some patients in the second, quote, failed trial, some of them were helped. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's how it is with many drugs. But there was almost unanimity among the competitors of Biogen <laughs> and about other companies. You'd think maybe they'd say, hey, I don't like this. Biogen beat us to the punch. Quite the opposite. There was really an interest on the part of biotech companies, other pharma companies, in the validation of this approach as being the first apparently disease-modifying drug. So a lot of other companies are now gearing up to make better antibodies. And of course, even before the announcement on Monday, other companies had already said, we're making Mm. other antibodies, and they also look like they clear amyloid, they Mm. lower tangles in some cases, and they're associated with at least a modicum of less decline in thinking, uh, which is what we're looking for. We, we, we don't really think we're talking about cures here. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be a future therapeutic approach. We're thinking about slowing the progression of Alzheimer's. Well, thank you for mentioning that because I was going to ask, when people talk about this drug helping people, what does that helping people mean. I know that it's really hard to study something that's so long-term like Alzheimer's. Um, you know, you would need a clinical trial that went for years mm-hmm. to, to measure clinical endpoints. Endpo- yes. So you need to use other endpoints. What does helping people in this context mean? So what helping people means with a treatment like aducanumab is hoping that some of their behavioral abnormalities when they're living at home with their families their irritation, Hmm. their anger outbursts, uh, their confusion, their difficulty in coping with everyday life, that some of that will not decline further as much. Mm -hmm. We can't say that it will take those things away completely, but we hope that the rate of decline, and that that is indeed what was seen with the four different antibodies, aducanumab being the first across the finish line, but the three that are coming after it, they've all improved what we call ADL, activities of daily living. Can I go to the kitchen and Mm -hmm. make a cup of coffee? Uh, Can I get dressed in the morning? Uh, Can I possibly uh, figure out how to write a check to someone? Those kinds of things, they were tested in the Biogen trials. Mm -hmm. And at least in one of the trials, they did quite well. They got a a significant uh, less decline in uh, everyday activities. And so that's what means something to patients. Now, my colleagues and I debate all the time whether aducanumab is potent enough and effective enough to really make a difference in people's lives. 
But I think in some of my patients who were in the trial, uh, it looked very much, and their families believed that they found out that they were on the real drug, mm-hmm. not on the placebo, and they felt that there was evidence that they were not uh, doing, they were not declining as much as they had noticed before. But it is it is difficult and subjective. The objective readout were the PET scans of the patient's brains. And indeed, um, the the PET scan signals went down. They're really striking images. If you look at the first phase one study of Biogen's aducanumab, you can see a dose dependent, you know, at one milligram per Hmm. kilogram body weight or three milligrams or six or 10, a dose dependent decrease in a person's PET scan on day zero when the trial began and at one year out. Interesting. Quite dramatic. And they're, they're published data from peer-reviewed journals. Have you heard from patients or patients' families since uh, Monday? Yes, we've gotten a lot of phone calls. It's been, it's been a very busy time because this is the first, and you have to think of the emotional impact of this for patients. They don't slice and dice the science as you and I have done just now, Pat. They say, what are you saying? Is there a drug that could maybe, maybe slow down my Alzheimer's? I'd like to get it. And so- uh, clinicians are concerned. Are we ready for the floodgates to open? I've talked about that before. Hmm. Yeah, that you're really opening. I was mentioning opening the floodgates to new approaches and additional drugs. That certainly is happening. But yes, patients have been calling, and we're going to do the following. We're going to have an orderly, transparent process to explain to people and their physicians around the country. Around, and we're, we're doing it in our microcosm, which is Brigham Women's Hospital, Mass General, McLean. We work together. Um, giving them a list of what needs to be done if they want to be considered for aducanumab treatment. So they have to have a rather simple five or seven minute mental status test by Mm -hmm. their personal doctor. Uh, They'll have to ask them some questions like what's the date today and what time of day is it right now without looking at your watch, that kind of thing. And uh, then they'll get a score and they'll be asked a history of, do they have memory troubles in everyday life? Do they have trouble making a cup of coffee in the morning, et cetera? Mm. And then that information would be transmitted to us in our hospital. And the same thing will happen, we hope and expect, in many other medical Mm. centers that have knowledge and expertise in Alzheimer's. And then we centrally will have a committee, essentially, to say, it looks like this patient is appropriate for getting aducanumab according to what the trials showed, um, or this patient is not. They may actually have a different form of dementia that isn't amyloid buildup. So we wouldn't want to give them aducanumab. And therefore, we'll have to determine their amyloid status in their brain. How could we do that? The amyloid PET scan is one way, but it's expensive and it's not available everywhere. I was going to say, it's only available in pretty much major medical centers. Major medical centers around the country, around the world. And therefore, there's another way to find out your amyloid status, and that's lumbar puncture, uh, which is- Oh, that sounds like fun. (laughs) It doesn't sound like fun, but I can tell you as someone who's done it many times, and I'm always on the blunt end of the needle, I'm, I'm giving the needle to the patient- it can be very safely done by people who do it every day. Hmm. It's like having a hernia repair. It doesn't sound like a lovely thing right. to have, but you go to someone because it's got a problem and you want to get it fixed. So lower amyloid beta protein, elevated tau protein. It's a formula that says you have Alzheimer's or you have the amyloid abnormality in the brain, and that would make you more eligible to get aducanumab. So it, it it was your description of what needs to happen. It makes me think about people in uh, 
rural Mississippi or central right. Illinois or you know the rural counties uh, all across the country that barely have a hospital nearby yeah, and they may not have a neurologist right so it's a problem and it's 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 a universal problem for breakthrough advances in medicine how do you get these to everyone how do you get them to underserved populations we're thinking a lot about that mm. do you advertise that this is now available some people have read about it in the papers others are not aware of it and we're going to need to do in the Alzheimer's Association, which is a wonderful, uh, essentially worldwide organization, but we're working with the American Alzheimer's Association because aducanumab has only been approved in the United States so far. It's pending in the European Medicines Agency mm -hmm. and in Japan and Brazil. We'll see what those groups uh, independently decide about aducanumab. So we want to advertise that patients should come forward if, they're, if they believe they have memory failure and they have clear-cut symptoms of trouble remembering, they see a local doctor, their primary provider, he does a brief mental, mental status test. That test is available online everywhere, and doctors will know how to access it. We'll help them access it. They ask them some questions. They write down the score. They send us that history of memory failure coupled with the score. We look at it in the, in the tertiary center, and we say, you should come in. But you're right. If you live very far from the medical center, uh, then it's the same issue as if you have a rare form of cancer right. and you only have a few places around that give you that ter therapy, you do the best you can. You try mm. to get to those centers. You try to find out if someone in the rural community can actually does have the know-how. And there are neurologists in many rural locations. Mm -hmm. They is one neurologist serving many mm. thousands of people. Um, but it is possible you can get that kind of care. But it will it will admittedly take a while. And especially in urban areas, there are plenty of people. You don't have to imagine what it's like in the countryside. In the urban area, there are many people who don't get the care that we think they deserve. Right. They can't so, even come close. They can't come close. So we're going to have to make a special effort to tell them aducanumab might be for them. I, I know you're not a drug pricing expert. Were you surprised at the price that Biogen set, which um, one of my colleagues said what the wholesale cost is? $56,000 for a year's treatment. Yes. I, I, I was surprised that it was that high, given the fact that it's very likely if the drug continues to show some benefit, that it'll be on the market for years, certainly until their phase four trial says yay or nay to whether it's still working. Um, and therefore, they'll have a very large number of patients. And I would have hoped that they would have gone lower. These drugs are biological drugs. They're not a pill like aspirin or a statin drug. They are complicated molecules that you have to make in a special facility. So they, they all cost a lot of money. And of course, Biogen and their competitors spent a huge amount of money. Mm. We're talking about many hundreds of millions or even billions of dollars to get this far. And of course, they, they want to recover their costs. But I would say with the prevalence of Alzheimer's, it would be best to be conservative in what you charge at the beginning. And then Medicare and other insurance agencies will need to weigh in and say, what do we think is appropriate to pay given many other things we have to pay for healthcare? And that might be a limiting factor. They might say, we think the trial data justify paying for aducanumab in people who are like the people in the trial. Mm but not everybody, mm. the way the FDA didn't clarify, you know, that kind of thing. So I think we're going to learn soon what the government, which for older people is the principal payer, mm -hmm. and what 
private insurance companies that help cover this, what they're going to say. Well, you mentioned who's a candidate. As you said earlier, it doesn't get rid of symptoms. Correct. It, it helps slow progression. Correct. So is this best for people with early Alzheimer's or kind of where in the spectrum would yeah. someone fall? I think that's an absolutely terrific question. I think the trials suggest that if there's going to be any clinical benefit, it's going to come early in the, the symptomatic disease. But we know that there's a pre-symptomatic phase of Alzheimer's before you have, you first forget where you parked your car this morning. And that's a long period of 20 years. Mm -hmm. So we hope that aducanumab will ultimately be used. And we know some of its other agents are, including drugs from Biogen, other antibodies are being tried in people who are very uh, early. That's where I think the field has to go. Prevention is much more effective than treating after symptoms begin. But right now, what you and I are talking about today is a drug that's been approved for the first time mm -hmm. for modifying the disease once symptoms have begun. I don't think that's as attractive as starting it when symptoms have oh, not interesting. Yet begun. Of course. So prevention mode is where we want to go, but that's not what the FDA approved. And it would be off-label use, so mm -hmm. to speak, to take aducanumab for someone who's 74 and has a family history of Alzheimer's, but on all of our tests, scores just about perfectly. Hmm. Uh, that wouldn't be what the drug was approved to do. Uh, happily, the prevention trials are using other agents, like competitors of aducanumab, and they're going forward. And there are already several prevention trials underway for people who have worries about Alzheimer's but don't yet have definite symptoms. My colleagues at STAT would find me remiss if I didn't ask you about Sharon Begley's article a few years ago yes. where she was trying to get at, you had mentioned there are different hypotheses in different camps. Right. Uh, she wasn't talking about the Baptists and Taoists. Baptists and Taoists, she was a bit. She was, <laughs> yeah, she was, that was part of her was, yeah. you know, So she basically said that there was an Alzheimer's cabal centered around the amyloid hypothesis. Right. Was she wrong, right, somewhere in between? I think she was almost entirely wrong about that. And, and Sharon and I discussed it more than one time and she wrote about it and, and, and I didn't convince her otherwise. But the idea that there was actually a cabal or a, a formal way to try to put down other hypotheses and heighten the amulet hypothesis is not, in my view, what many of us in the field saw or experienced. Rather, there was a competition of ideas hmm. And the genetics began to come in supporting the idea that amyloid looked like it could be causative. So Sharon and I discussed this, and she discussed it with many others. I felt that she was unnecessarily um, judgmental about the notion that the amyloid hypothesis was blasting forward in the field. Hmm. I don't think at all that it was because we were purposely squelching other ideas. But when you apply to the NIH for grants, or you ask drug companies to work on a new idea, of course, you make your best case. Sure. And it turns out now that tau approaches are coming right along. Inflammation, microgliosis is another approach that people are working on. There's other approaches as well. I firmly believe all those approaches should go through, go forward. But in point of fact, some people feel that the amyloid work has gotten too much support, too much funding, too much press, et cetera. And Sharon was one who believed that strongly. Mm. I, I disagree with that. Putting putting that aside, I mean, all this 
all of this must be very affirming for someone like you who has spent a career working in this very particular field. Yeah, I, I, I think that I'm sad that there's still a great deal of controversy about whether aducanumab will be helpful to people. I believe it will. But I understand that it's new, that people in the Alzheimer field, Alzheimerologists, are not used to prescribing disease-modifying mm. drugs. We, we don't do that. We, pres <laughs> we prescribe drugs like Donepacil, called Aricet, brand name, that help a little bit for a little while. And we just write a script and you go to Walgreens or CVS and get it filled. This is now giving us a lot of responsibility to make wise decisions about mm. who should get the drug, how do we follow them, how long should they get it, should we stop after a year maybe. The, these are real uh, therapeutic management decisions. And I can understand that many of my colleagues say this is a whole new world and it's a scary world. It must be. And, and we, we're not sure we're ready for all this. But frankly, we and our patients have been talking for decades that we, we want to be ready for this. Mm. We want to solve this disease. So I very much view this as a glass half full, not half empty. But it, it, you know, medicine, like life, is full of controversies. And if you want to do something uh, that may transform people's lives, you have to take risk. And my patients tell me they're much more comfortable with the risk than many of my colleagues feel. That's one thing that I've heard over and over again, that the people in the Alzheimer's community, both families and people with Alzheimer's, are really willing to take risks. Right, they are. And what are the risks? We haven't talked much about the side effect of aducanumab or other antibodies like it. <clears throat> and those are that in um, about 35% of patients in the two large aducanumab trials that Biogen did, 35% got a phenomenon that you could see on the MRI scan of the brain, not the PET scan we talked about earlier, but a regular magnetic resonance imaging scan that is called uh, vasogenic edema or currently ARIA, like the song ARIA, amyloid-related imaging abnormality. <clears throat> Excuse me, and ARIA is a phenomenon that happens in one little area of the brain or another, or sometimes more than one area, that's transient. It lasts four to 14 weeks. We know its history. It is not associated with any symptoms in 80%, about 75, 80% of people don't get it. So we start with 35% of aducanumab uh, people get it. Um, of those, 80% are asymptomatic. That means 20% of 35% are symptomatic. That's 7% of the population. That's still not a happy number given mm. the millions of Alzheimer's patients that may take this drug. What do those people have? They have some headache, not excruciating, terrible migraine, but some mild headache or moderate headache. They have some confusion, disorientation. We're going the wrong direction mm -hmm. here. We want to help them think, not make them worse. That lasts for four to 14 weeks. You don't need to treat it with any special medicine. You let it go away by itself. Almost certainly many experts agree it's a sign that you're clearing the amyloid. Oh, Those microglia are clearing it and moving it to vessels. A little bit of the amyloid gets hung up near the vessel and causes transient fluid leakage. That again, 80% of the time, you don't know that there's edema present. You see it on the MRI scan. Hmm. So we treat the patient, not the x-ray. And so I think this is a manageable side effect. And so many of us believe, even some who aren't that fond of the approval of aducanumab because they worry about the clinical efficacy, they're not 
so strongly worried that we can't manage. Otherwise, there aren't really side effects in the sense that the patient doesn't notice mm-hmm. when the drug goes in their vein. They don't feel anything funny and they can get up and walk home mm-hmm. and you know, play tennis or go golfing. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they don't feel sick at all from the drug. Where do you see your research headed? So we're very excited and and some to some extent, you know, really exhilarated that there's now something that we can look at family in the eye and say, there's something we think could slow the disease. So that's great. But we're not going to rest on that. We need to get better antibodies and we're testing those. We actually have a very cool antibody in the lab that we have through a collaboration. We have other shots on goal. Uh, There is something we haven't talked about, which is the enzymes that cut APP to liberate the A-beta peptide we have ways to modulate that cutting process and tune it down, probably with quite safe molecules that are not injectables, but an oral pill. And that means you're making less amyloid yes, beta. Yes, you're making less, and especially a really cool thing that other labs discovered and we've now worked on, is you can tweak the cutting process so you make a shorter form of the A-beta peptide. Uh, that's something we're going to work on. We're working on tau. Working on blood tests, very important point that I haven't mentioned yet. If we have all these people come forward who might qualify for aducanumab, how are we going to test them all? We're going to do the spinal fluid test, but we'd really like to get a blood test for Alzheimer's. Mm. And wouldn't it be nice if you didn't have to put a long needle into someone's Mm. spinal canal and sample their spinal fluid? 10 years down the road for people with Alzheimer's and their families. Is that a slightly better picture? I think it's a considerably better picture because we know how the trial results look. They've all been published in peer-reviewed journals from the three competitive antibodies that come right after aducanumab. And one or two of those, at least, probably all three, look quite quite good, look like they might be better. The other thing is that the reason the aducanumab data don't look as wonderful as many of my colleagues would like to see is because the trial wasn't executed correctly. They had a futility analysis that turned out to be false. They stopped the trial early. Big big mistake in retrospect. The company agrees. In retrospect, it was a big mistake. The follow-on drugs, they're going to avoid that like the plague. They're going to be very careful Hmm. to not stop early, to go right to the end so Mm -hmm. every patient gets the full dose, and then analyze the data blindly and, and statistically. So I think there's a much better chance that the next candidates will look more robust, will have a better data package when they go to the FDA. And they now have a precedent. They need to be at least as good, if not better than aducanumab. Mm-hmm. And even my colleagues who are naysayers about aducanumab would agree that that's a low bar to <laughs> overcome. They, they didn't think it should be approved in the first mm-hmm. place. Well, I hope we're both around 10 years yeah, from now to see yeah. it, and we're both in our right minds. Exactly. And, um, let's, let's, let's Dennis, this has been so interesting. Thank, Thank you, you for teaching me more about aducanumab and how Alzheimer's develops and yeah. what we might have to look forward to in the future. Yeah, and we should have a follow-up discussion. I'm thrilled that you do this program and that you delve into it in so much detail. So I think this has been the most uh, rich and detailed interview I've had on this topic. And I think that's the way that one has to approach this very complex thing that we have to solve, which is how to stop Alzheimer's. Well, thanks again. Great to talk to you, Pat. If you're interested in hearing from someone on the other side of the debate on aducanumab, check out part two of this week's podcast. In it, 
I talk with Jason Karlowich, an Alzheimer's physician who explains why he believes the FDA's approval was a bad decision. Thank you for listening to the First Opinion Podcast. It's produced by Teresa Gaffney. Our senior producer is Alyssa Ambrose, and our executive producer is Rick Burke. Listeners, please let me know which First Opinion contributors you'd like to hear on the show or what topics the podcast should take on. Do that by sending an email to first.opinion at statnews.com. And please put podcast in the subject line. And if you have a minute, I'd really appreciate you reviewing or rating the podcast on whichever platform you use to get it. That's it for now. Be well during this strange and uncertain time. Thank you.